One of the things that I would say is that we tend to make extreme resolutions. For instance, I would rather have someone say to me, I'm going to read the Bible through next year. I say, no, why don't you read the Gospels through next year and think about it as you read it? I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to read the scriptures through once a year. I think it's a great habit. A lot of people do it, but I would say do something that's manageable that you won't fail at. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Kent Hughes. Kent is Senior Pastor Emeritus of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, and a former professor of practical theology at Westminster Theological Seminary. He's also a co-founder of the Charles Simeon Trust, serves as the editor for the Preaching the Word commentary series, and is the author or co-author of many books, including the bestseller, Disciplines of a Godly Man, from Crossway. In the first part of a two-part series of interviews, Kent and I discuss why discipline really is so important for the life of a Christian man. He explains how discipline is actually aimed at freeing us to be the men that God called us to be, how to fight the addiction to entertainment so common among men in our culture today, and why working hard when it comes to our spiritual growth is not the same thing as working for our salvation. Tune in next week for part two, in which I talk with Barbara Hughes, Kent's wife and the author of Disciplines of a Godly Woman, about the importance of discipline in the lives of our sisters in Christ. Let's get started. Well, Kent, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So you first published your book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, uh, 30 years ago now. And since that time, the book has sold, I think, somewhere over the realm of 400,000 copies. And so I I guess my first question is, when you think about that number, 400,000 people who have bought the book or maybe received the book as a gift, how does that make you feel? Well, it it goes far beyond... Uh, my dreams, because 30 years ago, this was a series of sermons that I preached on the Lord's Day to my congregation in College Church in Edmund Chapel. We were outside of in construction for a new building, and so we were meeting at Edmund Chapel on the on the campus of Wheaton College, and it was for my people. And so, uh, you know, as as I put it all together, then I uh, talked to Crossway about the possibility of of it being a book, but I had. At that time, it was there were one-off sermons that I kind of cobbled together on the whole matter of spiritual disciplines. And so what, what made you think about turning it into a book? Uh, it seems like it's one of those topics that is pretty well-trodden, and so what was it that, that led you to say, I want to write this book, and I want it to be for men even in particular? Uh, I have to kind of go back a little bit to its genesis, because... Uh, I preach expositorily. I do, uh, I use the Latin term lectio continua. I, I preach through a book in uh, consecutive passages. That's what I always do. And so my staff said, you ought to do a topical sermon. And I said, I don't do topical sermons. <laughs> and uh, so it was kind of going back and forth, having a little fun with them. And they said, well, we, we, we think you ought to do a topical series. And so I went home and told my wife, and I said, um, a friend of mine who's an editor of another publishing house said, if you're going to do something like that, it needs to burn in your bones. 
Hmm. And the thing is, burning in my bones are spiritual disciplines. And my wife said, well, I think that would be fine, but don't do it for men and women. Do it for men, because Hmm. men need it more than women, she said. Hmm. And she's actually right about that statistically and so on. So she kind of had a prophetic word with me, for me. (laughs) And so I decided I'm going to preach it to men because it really speaks to men. It's more penetrating. And uh, so I took that to heart. And so I preached it to, to men with the women sitting next to them in the congregation on the Lord's Day. And I'm sure the yeah. ladies loved it. They could always elbow the old guy next to them when I was driving <laughs> a point home. Now, of course, right. the principles are transferable, but uh, my wife gave me great advice because the book is much more direct, much more straightforward, much more hard-hitting because it's directed to men. Hmm. And so uh, the other thing that I did is that I put a middle picture of my sons on the desk before me, imagine myself with a coffee cup giving them fatherly advice about spiritual discipline. So that's that's how the book came about. And then, as I was, I only had about six ideas in mind when I started, and it morphed out to about 17 or 18, so it kind of grew like topsy as I did it. And I would have people say, Pastor, this is, I've, I've never heard a series like this. Uh, so they were so hungry for it, and that's when I began to think, well, maybe it's got possibilities beyond my congregation. Mm, yeah. Well, and why do you think it is that uh, men in particular have responded so positively to the book over the last three decades? I think there's a couple of things. One, it is uh, straightforward. It, in that sense, it's manly and direct. In other words, the, the chapters are pretty hard-hitting, uh, whether you like them or not. They, they're kind of in your face, and they come at you. The other thing is, is that almost every chapter begins anecdotally or with a story that then feeds into what the biblical text is, applies the text, and then has practical applications uh, at the end. And so it's, uh, it's written, each of the chapters are written to really engage you right from the beginning. Yeah. So those are some of the reasons. Well, and, and I, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those uh, hard-hitting lines that I think are in the book. Um, but maybe before we get there, let's talk about that word, discipline. Uh, yeah. And I want to read a quote here from the book that I think um, was really interesting, and I'd love to hear you unpack on that. You write, We will never get anywhere in life without discipline, be it the arts, the trades, business, athletics, or academics. And this is doubly true on spiritual matters. None of us can claim an innate spiritual advantage. Uh, In reality, we're all equally disadvantaged. None of us naturally seeks after God. Therefore, as children of grace, our spiritual discipline is everything. And my guess is that for maybe some people listening right now, uh, that might sound a little bit surprising to talk about the Christian life in that way, to talk about spiritual disciplines in that way. I, I wonder if one question that might be in someone's mind is, are you essentially saying that uh, we can practice our way into godliness if we just have enough discipline? Good question. Uh, first of all, I, I would say what happens in a person's mind, oftentimes when they hear the word discipline, it transmutes into legalism. Mm. 
I mean, it just does. You hear that and you say, wait a moment. I'm not in some sort of performance thing to gain, you know, uh, status with God. Well, the difference between discipline and legalism is like a universe apart because legalism says, I will do this thing or this list of things or follow this regimen so that I can gain merit with God. I mean, that's at the heart of of, uh, legalism. That's what legalism does. Where discipline says, I love God and uh, I want to please him. So the the difference in motivation, one is so self-focused, the other is towards God. The other thing is, is that discipline is a biblical word. And so if you make a mistake, if you translate it into uh, legalism, because the Apostle Paul hated legalism with a passion. He fought him bare knuckles all the way across Asia. He hated, he hated legalism. But he chooses the word, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. He not only uses it in 1 Timothy 4, 7, but he uses it as a command. It's in the imperative. So he doesn't leave us any room that we're to discipline ourselves. Now, when you say discipline yourself, can you then... uh, what was it? What did you say? Uh, the way you phrased it was kind of like practice your way into godliness with with sufficient discipline. Well, uh, yes and no. For instance, if you if you uh, go out on a basketball court and you're at the three point line and you shoot seven hundred shots a day or you don't go off the court until you make 700 baskets, uh, you'll, get, you'll get pretty good at shooting three-pointers. I mean, al- almost no matter who you are if you do that. Yeah. Well, uh, um, so there's a sense in which you create pathways, muscle memory, to do that kind of thing. And there is a kind of spiritual muscle memory that takes place by regular discipline. So if you read the Bible regularly, listen to the Bible regularly, pray regularly, uh, I'll, I'll say you get spiritual muscle memory that, 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 that helps. And, uh, you know, this, this goes all the way back to uh, Dewey himself, who said, if you do something for 28 days in a row, it'll be a part of you. This was John Dewey in, in his uh, psychology. So we're not talking about psychology, but I think you understand the principle. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me, too, is the connection between so many of these spiritual disciplines, things that we want to, to, to do as Christians, things that we're called to do in Scripture as Christians, and the more broad idea of habits and habit formation. Right. Uh, so I guess, how do you see those two things as connected? Well, there's a, there's a story I, that I tell in there. It comes from J. Sidlow Baxter, and Baxter... Actually, I heard that he'd said this, and I wrote J. Sidlow Baxter, uh, who's long gone, another generation. I said, is this true? And, and he typed it out and signed it and gave the whole story to me. <laughs> and the way the story goes, in just a nutshell, he tells a story uh, about going into his study, and he and the way he uh, talked about it, he said he had his, his will and his emotions. And he says his will was to go in and have devotions. His emotions said, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. And he talks about how he 
he decided that he was going to assert his will over his emotions. So he would go into his study and pray, and he did it on a consistent basis. And then one day, he says, this is how he tells the story, that his emotions shouted, he's going to go in no matter what we do. (laughs) And he said, that was the day that my will triumphed over my emotions, so to speak. The whole territory of J. Sidlow Baxter was committed to prayer and to God. So he, he talks about this in a very humorous, kind of funny way about uh, that when you do things, there are times when you need to will to do things so that they do become a part of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and on that point, you know, I can imagine some people listening right now uh, might be thinking, you know, you've been a Christian for a long time, Dr. Yeah, Hughes. Yeah. Uh, you've served as a pastor for decades. You've taught seminary students uh, as a professor of practical theology, and you even wrote this book, a best-selling book on the spiritual disciplines. But even with all that under your belt, uh, do you ever still struggle uh, when it comes to consistently practicing these disciplines in your own life, or at least feeling a desire to do so? Yeah. As a matter of fact, every time I review the book, I I say to myself, I'm not living up Hmm. to any of the disciplines in the way that I ought to. In other words, I really get convicted myself and reading it. You know, I need to, I need to reread my book. I need to reapply it. So just looking, preparing for today, I looked at a, a couple of things and thought, oh my, I'm not practicing what I preach. So what I'm saying is, is that I, I have laid out these disciplines. I have practiced them the best I can, but I don't, I don't really measure up on any of them. Hmm. And I've also said this, if you take all the things that I suggest in the book to do, you come up with 206 things. I mean, talk about putting somebody under the, under the pile. 206 things. Well, what I, what I say at the end of the book is you need, that's not what the book is meant to do. What you need to do is say, what are the, what are the 10 things or five things that God really has spoken to me about, and I will covenant to work on those things. So it, it's, it's got a, uh, a lot of information, a lot of do's, but it's not meant to bring you uh, under legalism. Now, here's an interesting thing. Now, this is very important about this matter of working at your spiritual life or working at serving God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is that great chapter that begins with a mandate to biblical theology and then ends up affirming the resurrection, the Apostle Paul says in that chapter, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says grace, so he begins with grace. And his grace toward me was not in vain. He mentions grace a second time, was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He mentions grace three times. Well, grace, uh, the uh, grace of God doesn't come by works. The grace of God is a gift, right? So he receives the grace of God, but what does the grace of God do? He works harder than all of his apostolic colleagues by the grace of God. So uh, grace will make you sweat, 
spiritually in the service of God. Yeah, it strikes me that there's probably two types of Christians, at least. Some Christians are going to be tempted towards uh, a legalistic kind of view. But then, on the other hand, it seems like, uh, and maybe more broadly in our culture today, um, the idea that our spiritual lives, our Christian lives, would require hard work is maybe uh, something that seems foreign to a lot of people. It, maybe because of this fear of legalism, we kind of go the other direction too far. And uh, I wonder if you could speak to that. Why do you think it is that uh, that's the case with so many Christians today? Or the fact that Michael Phelps uh, won eight Olympic medals, but he did it by thousands and thousands of miles in the pool of disciplined boredom. I can't, I can't put it any other way. Uh, or Jack Nicholas said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. You know, I get, I get better at it. I think it was, maybe it was Arnold Palmer who said that, or Jack <laughs> Nicholas. But, but I, I think the point is, is that we understand that sweat is necessary in virtually everything in life. I, I, you quoted, if you're going to be a good bull, bull rider, you better practice bull riding and you better do it with your head straight, right? <laughs> or, cross, or, or motocross, or chess, or uh, the violin. All of it requires discipline. And then what happens is you, you get to spiritual things. No, say, no it's got to just be natural and emotive and flow out of love. And if, I, if the love is really there... It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be hard because it's spiritual. Well, when it says there's none righteous, no, not one, no one seeks after God, uh, and that's my nature apart from the grace of God, um, I'm sorry, you're not thinking clearly. There's gonna take, it's going to take discipline, and discipline is a word that has a smell of the gym in it. Gymnasium. Gymnasticize yourselves is really, if I kind of transliterated it, sort of. So I think you can see what I'm, I'm driving at, and you have to live with this, this tension. Mm. Well, and one of the, the key dangers to men in particular that you mention uh, in the book is our addiction to entertainment, and that can, that can lead us to not want to work hard. And you write this, this quote here, which is one of those hard-hitting quotes that you mentioned earlier, uh, a face lit by a luminous screen is a study in passivity. Fleeting images intermingled with thousands of commercials and banner ads for, of an average week's viewing instill passiveness. The viewer becomes a passive, munching, sipping drone. There are guys, voyeurs, who have substituted viewing for doing and imagine that they have scored a touchdown or taken a hill by virtue of having watched it. Passive living legends in their own inert minds. So those are some strong words. Um, and I guess the question is, how big of a problem do you think that is, that we are so addicted to entertainment that we, we've just kind of lost any strength that we would need to actually pursue these disciplines? Yeah, well, I, I would uh, I even go further and say no man can be... I will say this. I, I, I warn people about using the words always, never, all, and, and, and I'll say no man who watches, who, who spends his evenings in front of the tube. Now, I, I really have to spread that out in the cyber world because I, 
you know, there's too much. It's, yeah. Television's almost passe, but in front of a luminous screen in the cyber world, night after night after night, can be a godly man. This is always true in every case, and there are no exceptions. That's pretty damning, mm. pretty tough words. But if that is how you spend your mind, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the political season right now. And I, I, I don't, I don't know which one, what I, whether I ought to say this or not. But a lot of conservative Christians spend five hours a night watching Fox News and ten minutes a day reading their Bible. So what's going to fill your mind? Politics and politics and politics and politics instead of the Word of God. Now, I'm a football fan. In fact. Every town that I've moved to has won a Super Bowl within two years of the time that I moved there. Oh, wow. When I, when I came to Chicago in, uh, well, this was in within five years, in 79, the Bears won it in 86, right? I moved out to uh, Spokane, Washington uh, eight years ago, and the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. I moved to Philly four years ago, and the Phillies won the Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing, you know, with Carson Wentz and, uh, and everything else. Now, I'm, I'm back in uh, Seattle, I think. What I'm saying is I'm a football fan. I follow statistics and so on. I have to, I have to discipline myself not to spend Saturdays and Sundays just watching games, you know. I'll watch a game. Or I'll pick, I'll, or I'll pick out the second half and say, or the or the final quarter where it, usually everything's decided. But I, I've got to be careful about that. I, I look at ESPN uh, statistics and news every day on my phone, so I, I'm interested in those things. But they don't dominate my life. Mm, yeah, it's almost the new year, which means uh, a lot of people are thinking about New Year's resolutions, and maybe they're they're recognizing some bad habits that have crept in, uh, whether that's related to entertainment or, or something else. Uh, what do you think about New Year's resolutions when it comes to spiritual disciplines? Is that a good idea, or do you feel like that's uh, maybe setting yourself up for failure in some way? Uh, generally, I think a resolution is setting yourself up for failure, but it doesn't mean you ought not to make a resolution. There are people that make a resolution after the holidays to lose 50 pounds, and they do. A lot of them fail, but but without the resolution, they wouldn't they wouldn't lose it, right? Mm, yeah. So what I uh, what what but one of the things that I would say is that we tend to make extreme resolutions. For instance, I would rather have someone say to me, they say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna read the Bible through next year." I say, "No, why don't you read the Gospels through next year and think about it as you read it." I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to read the Scriptures through once a year. I think it's a great habit. A lot of people do it. But I would say do something that's manageable that you won't fail at. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so you're kind of saying start start small. Right, and, and then you can add to it. People have all kinds of different capacities, and this... Uh, one of the things that I am so thrilled about, about the technology today is the ubiquitous smartphone or iPhone. Because when I wrote the book 30 years ago, I encouraged, I, I encouraged uh, McShane's reading plan. I encouraged 
It would be nice to read the Bible through once a year, five pages a day puts the Bible away. That's true, if you do that. Well, today, I can be in my car on a drive and be listening to the ESV. I can listen to the book of Galatians. I can listen to the book of Philippians, Philippians 15 minutes, uh, Galatians 15 minutes, Ephesians 20 minutes. Mm. I can listen to the whole gospel of Mark in about an hour, an hour and a half, something like that. So I can have I can have the Word of God streaming through my mind. I can go to bed at night. My, this is what my wife does every night. Is she puts on her earpods and she listens to Scripture as she goes to bed, and the Scripture is still running when she goes to sleep and she's being programmed. So we've got great opportunities to fill ourselves with the Word of God. And uh, uh, Matt, this is very fascinating to me. I don't find in the Bible where it tells me to read the Word of God. Now, it's implicit that we do. That's why we have the book. But it says, listen, 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 listen. I mean, that's what Jesus says. You know, hear, listen. Yeah. Well, Jesus does mean listen, but it's with a moral tinge too. Listen understand it and obey it. But uh, we're, we're living in an age where uh, a guy that's in the trades can be filled with the Word of God, a surgeon uh, in, in intense, under intense pressure can be filled with the Word of God, um, uh, a housewife as she's working can put on her headphones and listen. So uh, I, I just think there are, are great things today that are available for knowing the Word of God that didn't exist in the past. And, but you need to discipline yourself to listen. Well, and that just feels like one of the ironies of our age is, as you said, it's, it's easier than ever to hear the Word of God in all different ways. And yet it's also easier than ever to be distracted by by movies and shows and podcasts, even like this one, mm-hmm. uh, and actually not take advantage of God's word. Right. I uh, my formula. This is this is for free. Is that you need to be reading or listening to the Word of God every day. Uh, I'm not going to say how much. Uh, that you need to have some section of Scripture that you are meditating on during that time, whether it's the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, the Book of Philippians, the Ten Commandments, you know, there's just, it's it's endless. Psalm 19, Psalm 119, Psalm 1, Psalm 84, Psalm 32, Psalm 40, you understand what I'm saying. Mm. You need to be meditating on those things and knowing them. But the other thing is, you need to be in church on the Lord's day, listening to the Word of God preached. And let me explain one of the reasons why. Uh, and this is a football thing. Say I, I'm watching Monday Night Football, and, I, and a play takes place, and it looks like voodoo to me. <laughs> I can't figure out what happens. And there's Al Michaels, and there's Chris Collinsworth. And Chris, Chris uh, uh, does, you know, stops the screen, draws some arrows, says, this is what happened, this is what happened, and I go, oh, that's how it works. Or he'll slow it down in slow motion. 
What happens on the Lord's day when you sit under the preaching of the word is the pastor slows it down, puts it in slow motion so you can be going, oh, oh yeah, I see how that works. I see the logic of that. That makes sense to me. So if you are reading or listening to the Word of God on a regular basis, studying some section on your own, and then taking notes on the Lord's Day, you can be filled with the Word of God. And uh, in the Reformation, they said there were three functions of the church. And one was uh, the Lord's table, one was church discipline, and the other was listening to the Word of God. Those are the functions that the Reformation said the church gave you. And for your spiritual health, you cannot absent yourself from the regular worship with God's people on the Lord's Day. Hmm. Well, and that's a good segue into uh, a question about just what is, what is your own life like these days when it comes to spiritual disciplines? You mentioned how you have a, a kind of a personal rule that you always want to be reading or hearing the Word of God every single day, that church is an important uh, part of your rhythm. What, what other things sort of are uh, normative for you in this stage of life? Well, I am old. I'm 78. Uh, March 1st, I'll be 79, so I'm almost an octogenarian. I've been around <laughs> a long time. And uh, one of the things I'm doing right now, I preached to the book of Hebrews years ago, but I've been reading the book of Hebrews through... Uh, on a fairly regular basis, and I've been looking at all the Old Testament usages that, that Hebrews has. For instance, in the, in the opening chapter, you've got like six Old Testament references, and some of them are so arcane that I, I have to go, what, why in the world did he quote this? You know, how does that work? So I've been reading those Old Testament quotations through in their context so that I can understand what's going on in that opening chapter of, of Hebrews where it talks about Christ's superiority to the angels. You know, to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand, you know, until I, you know, that sort of thing. Well, where's that from? Why did he say that? And that sort of thing. So I've actually been working on the trying to get a mental grasp of the whole structure of the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews so that they're just kind of part of me. So that's where I've been spending my time lately, you know, plus just general reading. Uh, I read a lot. I certainly, on the Lord's Day, am there taking close notes. We're going through the book of Mark. I'm absolutely amazed by what's going on in Mark, re-amazed, though I preached on it 30 years ago. I can't believe what I'm learning in the book of Mark from the preaching of the Word. Yeah. So. Do you ever, that's one of those dynamics that I think we've all experienced, but but certainly as I've grown older, I start to feel this more and more, that, that sense, I think you mentioned it earlier, that just we often have to relearn things we've already learned. We have to, I think we think we have something down, and then we realize later on that actually I need to, I need to recommit myself to this. Is that a dynamic that you've experienced even when it comes to the disciplines? Absolutely. Uh, virtually on every one of them. Hmm. There are some maybe I'm doing a little better at than others. I won't say what they. I think they are because <laughs> God will hold me responsible <laughs> for my pride. But uh, on a few of them, I think. So how 
does that ever has that ever been discouraging to you? Well, as I said before, I am aware of who I am. I remember I had a, a little granddaughter. I mean, she was like three years old. This is Catherine. And she was in the other room, and my wife heard her say, I'm a despicable person. I'm a despicable person. I'm a despicable person. And, and we went, oh, my word, what have we done to this child? <laughs> and uh, so with a little further research, we realized she was quoting Donald Duck with his lisp, you know, <laughs> I'm a despicable person. But uh, something that I, I kind of live with is that, uh, uh, and that is, um, let me see, I'm not, I, I, it's more like in a syllogism, I don't have it quite right, but is that, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I am awful and I'm wonderful all at the same time. Hmm. I, I'm awful because of my sin and my depravity and, and my tendency to fall back into sinful patterns, but I'm wonderful because I'm created in the imago dei. I have the potential of, of uh, living a life in concert with him, thinking his thoughts after him, communicating with him because I am in the image of God. So I am awful and I'm wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, wow. Such a beautiful, a beautiful truth uh, that we can hold on to, even in the midst of our own, our own weakness. Yeah. So maybe, maybe as a last question, Speak to the Christian listening right now who uh, maybe is especially aware of his or her own weaknesses on this front, and uh, maybe they've been listening to you talk today, and they're feeling, man, he is so far ahead of me, uh, I could never get to that point, or, or maybe even worse, uh, I've neglected these things for years, maybe even decades, and they just feel discouraged because it's like so much time is perhaps lost in their mind. What would you say to that person? You can't go back. You can never go back. There's only what's in front of you. And I would say if it's a conviction about prayerlessness, make a brief prayer list, not a long prayer list, but make a brief prayer list of essential things and pray through that list every day. You know, 10 things maybe. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not reading the Bible, I, I would say... Get the ESV app, which is free, <laughs> and and listen to the Word of God. You know, ten minutes a day. Um, if you're if you're not going to church, then then I I get a little more martial and say, you cannot maintain a spiritual health apart from the fellowship of the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ, and you say, oh, yeah, but you don't know my church, and you don't know the people that are in it, and so on. Well. Um, no church is perfect. You know the cliche. You know, if you find a perfect church and you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, get involved in the regular fellowship and worship of the church. And, and give yourself, this, uh, this isn't in my disciplines, but give yourself to helping someone else in need, whether it's a, a divorcee who's in need, a child who's in need, uh, a young mother who's in need, a guy struggling with his business, a guy out of, you know, give yourself to um, loving and helping someone else 
with God's love and God's grace. So those are the kinds of things that I would say. I, 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 I didn't write the book to make people uptight. Actually, it's meant to be liberating. Disciplines are meant to liberate you. And it's really true. If you, if you take the athletic thing, uh, uh, you can say, man, uh, all that discipline, shooting those thousand free throws, well, that liberates you to hit uh, a free throw at the final buzzer, right? Mm, With someone's yeah. hand in your face, a Steph Curry move, right? <laughs> or to kick that final goal like Beckham because you practiced and practiced and practiced getting that bend it like Beckham curve that you... Uh, the ball went through the air like a knuckleball, and the goalie didn't know where it was going. <laughs> it all came out of discipline, the freedom, the freedom to do those things. Well, Kent, thank you so much for for taking time today to, uh, yeah, just, I think, provide us with encouragement for pursuing the spiritual disciplines, even though it's hard work, but there is uh, uh, there's true value and joy that comes from that, freedom that comes from that. Yeah, it, it's the path of joy for the Christian life. Can I just quote uh, the, the verse again? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for it holds promise in this present life right now and in the life to come. Mm. This is a faithful saying, deserving of all acceptance. Amen. That was Kent Hughes on the importance of discipline in the life of a Christian man. For more, be sure to check out his best-selling book with Crossway, Disciplines of a Godly Man, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you write us a review? That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.